Hello and welcome back to another edition of Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. I sincerely hope you're all okay out there, given the rough time our politics and our economy have been plunged into. I suppose I could have invited a politician onto the show this week, but no one has any answers to the looting and violence as yet. What is certain is that fatigue will set in eventually and the chaos will die down and the recriminations will start. This is South Africa, after all, a place where Jan Smuts once said, neither the best nor the worst ever happens. If, however, I had a gun to my head and I had to reduce my many passions to just one, it would be to watch a good game of rugby on the telly, a good roast behind me and a glass of any middle flay red wine on the side table. It's awful being a sports fan because you're bound to get hurt, but I can't stop myself. I care about my teams, the Sharks and the Springboks. I know they're going to lose some, sometimes a lot. And I recognize that the better rugby they play leading up to the really big games, the better they'll be. So my guest today is my literally all-time favorite rugby writer, Stuart Barnes. He's a former Bath, England, British and Irish Lions fly half. His rugby writing is a bit like the rugby he used to play. Typical fly half, full of attitude, wit and intuition. I've taken out a whole subscription to the Sunday Times and the Times in London just to read him and I never get let down. Of course, he's a bit focused on South Africa right now because the Lions are here, so what better time to talk to him? Stuart, thanks very much for joining me, and I'm sorry if talking rugby, given the state of South Africa at the moment, sounds a bit flippant, but everything can sometimes seem a little existential here, and even our ability to put together enough Springboks to make a team for the first Lions test on July 27th can sometimes seem doubtful given COVID. What does it look like from the other side of the field, from the UK? It, it, it's been a strange build-up. The first two weeks um, have sort of clarified my feeling uh, in the sense that it feels dislocated times in Africa. Uh, it feels odd there being a tour going ahead and and with COVID um striking at will in Johannesburg, uh, it only led to that feeling of what the heck is going on. And, you know, I I don't deny um, much of me wonders whether this tour should go ahead. Uh, but now that it is going ahead, um, I'm very glad that the uh, South African A-team is fielding so many of, of its lead players. Obviously, uh, it needs to get game time into them. But I, I had a horrible feeling that not only would this tour be one with uh, manufactured fixtures in manufactured venues, but the series could um, collapse on its head. And that would do irreparable damage to the Lions. Um, and so uh, the, the the signs for the game in Cape Town are very good that this match is going to go ahead. And that at the very least... We're going to get a, a strangely isolated test series with echoing stadia, but at least we're likely to get one at the moment. Yeah, it's amazing because the, the, the team for tomorrow's game, and presumably they'll pay, play them again on Saturday, Stuart, South Africa A, which is what they were due to do, is, is an extremely strong side. I mean, that's almost a test side, minus, probably minus their fly half. And Mornay Stone is not too bad. Mornay Stane, well, he's the nemesis. I can recall being in the um, uh, B Sky B commentary box in 2009, and everyone remembers uh, the penalty that Ronan O'Gara conceded. Uh, but 
in the UK and Ireland, no one seems to remember the quality of that last-minute strike by Mornay Stain. Mm. Um, I must say, um, uh, we would be delighted if, if Stain was the test fly-half and not a fully fit Andre Pollard. Um, and I think that's a big question for South Africa. If Pollard is not fit, I think uh, Stain can run a game, but I think he's physically vulnerable at this stage of his career. Yeah. Um, but but it's fascinating. I mean, Gatlin wants to play against the Stormers. He doesn't want to face South Africa A twice. Um, the Lions squad isn't as big as they took to New Zealand last time, and, and they've got a couple of injuries, and there's a degree of protection about that. And I wonder also whether he's thinking, why do I want to allow the Springboks to get two games in, into the core of their squad? Yeah. Because... Right now, um, you know, with South Africa having had so many days when they haven't even been able to train against mm. each other, I think they're by far the, the rustier outfit, and, and that's given um, an unusual advantage for the Lions, who are normally disadvantaged for the very fact they only get together once every four years and get on the road. Yeah, it's hard to believe it was 2009 when they were last year, and the next time will be 2033. We can't even think of that, Peter. <laughs> and rugby doesn't matter, I suppose, as much to the English as it does here. Um, um, although now that the European final football uh, and Wimbledon have gone, and I, I do um, lamentations about the football. I do. I feel sorry for you. The, the three tests, I presume, will draw a good TV audience in the UK. Yeah, very, very big. Um I, I've left Sky now, um, but I was there 25 years, and I can tell you it's no state secret that um, we covered the Premiership, the the weekly club game, um, diligently for a long, long time. But the plan was always to get as much international rugby as they could. The Autumn Internationals, which Sky had, um, with, with the jewels for Sky next to the Lions, but they very rarely got more than England home games at the Six Nations. And all broadcasters want to get the Six Nations because the Six Nations uh, is where the money is. You would, Sky would make more money um, as a television broadcast outfit from the Autumn Internationals than they would from the entire club season. Now, if you take the Six Nations into account, uh, that's another world altogether. Uh, and the Lions also... Um, and I must say, uh, Sky, I'm sure, we've, would push very hard to make sure games go ahead. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and, and doubtless, I would think they've probably got lower figures than they used to at the start of the tour, Peter, because of um, all the understandably uh, negative press that's been going on about the first few weeks of the tour, combined with um, our uh, nationalistic zeal about the football team who fell at the final hurdle. So... There will be big viewing figures, um, but it will have been a very slow start. And the fact that, that South Africa beat England in the final um, of the Rugby World Championship way back 2019 now, it seems a lifetime ago. Yes. Does that rankle a little still? No, I, I, don't, th I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it probably rankles with Eddie Jones, uh, the England manager, uh, but I, th I think generally I mean, most people in England um, got very excited uh, because England did play extremely well against New Zealand 
And I, I think they left their um, final mentality uh, on the pitch in the semi-final. Uh, they came out just thinking it was going to happen. And, and from the first scrum, the first injury, it was never going to happen. And South Africa gave them a, a, a bit of a caning. But no, from an English perspective, it doesn't really rankle. And I think Warren Gatland, the interest will be as, as the Lions manager because he was coach of Wales in the semi-final. And you can take a different perspective on this. You can say, OK, South Africa win the World Cup again. So they're the world champions, which is a daunting um, phrase in itself. But Gallen could well say, look, they didn't actually find it easy against Japan in the quarterfinals. Uh, Wales uh, had a lot of injuries and, and, and pushed them some degree in the semi. So it, it, uh, New Zealand beat them uh, comfortably in the pool stage. So you can flip it around and say, actually, South Africa only played one dominant game in the World Cup, and that was against England. So Gatlin could turn around and say, guys, you know, we're from four uh, varying countries. There's nothing to be afraid of. This team will one-hit wonders in the World Cup, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's saying that. Yeah, yeah. Just let's take a step forward and and – Talk about rugby after the Lions have gone home, whatever the result might be. What? And I'm very confused about this, Stuart. What happens to rugby in this country? Everything seems so fragile all the time and, and, and arrangements are made and, and you sort of feel, you know, look, I'm a rugby fan. Why wasn't I consulted? But, but there's a thing called the United Rugby Championship that the big local franchises, ours, the Bulls, the Stormers, my Sharks and the Lions, They've all signed up to this thing. And we used to play the best of New Zealand. Now we're going to play Irish teams, Welsh teams, Scottish teams, and Italian teams. And no English, no French. And I, I, I don't understand what we've done. I mean, will any, uh, you know, <laughs> what is what is going on? Why am I? Why can I not watch the Sharks play the Crusaders any longer? That's just been taken away from me. Money. Yeah. Uh, it, it's money. It's the next stage of professionalism. Um, there has been a great deal of uh, talk in the UK and Ireland about a company called CVC. Um, yes. A, 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 a private equity firm. And they, they are heavily involved in... Uh, the English club game, they are they have a, a, a substantial slice of the international market and they're not doing this for the benefit of rugby, be it South Africa, Wales or, or Hong Kong. They're doing it in the same way that private equity firms always do it for, for their own game. And if in the process it betters the game, um, I believe the authorities are just crossing their fingers and hoping that will be the case. I don't believe it, it will. So... From their point of view, um, South Africa are very important pawns in the global game because they're three times world champions, and along with New Zealand, they are you know one of the two great rugby. They are the two great rugby nations, and to peel uh, the, the the big four away from Super Rugby, which has been struggling because it became so bloated. Um, would be uh, would be a success for them, and it would be um, more profitable for the South African teams. 
you you talk to people and people say the same thing again and again right now there's more money than being in this uh united rugby championship uh, than there is being in the uh, a far superior super rugby tournament so professionalism is finally breaking apart the greatest international rivalry the game has known, which is New Zealand, South Africa. But I would say this isn't the beginning of some wonderful new alignment between South Africa and Europe, where we keep hearing it's only an hour's time difference, so it makes more sense. I would suggest it's the beginning of the push towards making the international game at test level even greater. Once uh, the Stormers and the Sharks are, are, are regularly playing in Cardiff and Dublin and Edinburgh, the next move clearly will be, and it's whispered already, to introduce South Africa into the Six Nations, or as it would be then, the Seven Nations. And once South Africa become part of a seven nations, um, then uh, equity and the authorities would say, well, wouldn't it make great sense if we got Australia, New Zealand and Argentina there? And suddenly you have a year-round global game of international test rugby. And it becomes... It, it does to rugby union at a professional level, I think, uh, what the uh, media drive for test cricket has done to county cricket in England, which is, is turn it into just a, a gentle feeder for the test game. And it's destroyed it, really. That is, I mean, that's so depressing. Um, I mean, private equity on its own has done enough damage to the companies I've worked for. Uh, well, I wouldn't disagree. What would it? What's it going to? I mean, okay, that's a fascinating scenario that you've brought out there. But if you're a kid now at school and you're a good rugby player, you you know you you're playing for in South Africa, St John's or St Andrews or Hilton, Michael House, whatever, um, Gray in in Bloemfontein, um, and you're a good fly half or you're a good scrummy. Um, your trajectory is going to make look. It's going to just look nothing like. Yours did in in international rugby. I mean, where you you you'll immediately you'll be hauled out of school by a French club, um, taught their ways, or how will it work? What will it be like to be a young South African schoolboy? Well, I, I well, I'm not. I, I think I don't. I hate this phrase. You know. Uh, yeah. Be it politics or sport, everyone always says we're on a journey and they talk about pathways and these cliches drive me mad. But what I think there will be will be that um, the pathway uh, from being a, a talented 12-year-old, I think it'll, um, it'll move uh, into uh, Stormers uh, or Lions or Bulls and and through into the South Africans. I think the theory is, and it's a theory that South Africa can buy into, the extra money will make players less vulnerable to the Euro and to the Sterling. So, theoretically, uh, Faf de Klerk um, isn't going to um, a, a, an affluent suburb on the edge of Manchester in northern England 
to make his money. He'd still be in Johannesburg. So th that's the theory. Um, the practice is, unfortunately, the quality of the rugby they'd be playing would be somewhat diminished. I mean, I, I would say this, that, that they, they've talked about this United Rugby um, having, having the national, almost indigenous tables and I, I, uh, championships, and that works. So it's, it's not all bad. I mean, I like the idea. Uh, I think the best rugby I've seen in, in lockdown was um, yeah. Super Rugby Aotearoa, the New Zealand tournament, where they finally played each other, and it was spectacular. So that worked on, on that level. Um, Super Rugby Australia wasn't such a good standard, but in terms of um, uh, interest, getting uh, people talking, watching, turning on their televisions, it did a bloody good job. So you, you can see uh, you, the, the uh, United Rugby Championship, or whatever it's called, you could see... Uh, when the South African teams are playing each other, you'll get a, a, a pitch of interest. The problem is it's a 16-team tournament and eight will advance to the knockout stages. And right now, I, I, if you looked at the strength of, of domestic rugby, I would say that probably three South African teams would get through and, and, and three Irish pretty much every year, which will mean... When Leinster and Munster, uh, the powerhouses of, of, of Irish rugby, come to um, South Africa, they will be able to bring weakened teams. They will rest their elite players. And in the same way that when uh, we're being told, you know, Cardiff will, 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 will brace itself for uh, um, the, the Stormers coming with a load of internationals and Kitsoff causing chaos in the scrum. But if they've had a good tournament at home, they will be in a position to rest players and just nick the odd win and, and qualify for the top eight. So this is this is because you've got to win your home. You've got to win your home series in order to yeah yeah. And if you do that, then you then play. You know, you play home and away. You you get your share of wins at home, and then you know, on the road, places like Edinburgh and and Glasgow, you would be disappointed if the South African teams weren't able to do as the Irish teams do, which is sometimes struggle, but come away with a win and a win where they don't have to um, unleash all their international forces. And that's been the problem with the Guinness 14, as this tournament has, has been known for some time. It lacks the strength in depth to force you to play strong teams in a way that in the English club game and the French club game, they're far nearer full strength other than when internationals are going ahead. And, and, and that makes for a more vibrant, exciting league. Stuart, is there a, is, and is there a peak on all of this? I mean, do the, do the winners of all these leagues ever play each other? In other words, does the winner of the Premiership ever play the winner of the Pro, of the Super Rugby, um, gosh, the United Rugby Championship? Yeah, well, we, we, this hemisphere, we've got the, you know, the European Champions Cup. Right, uh, and and that's where the top performers in the Guinness uh, Pro Fourteen, where, where you know there's there will be a South African team invited from the first year. I think that's that's already been agreed. So we'll have a European Champions Cup with a team possibly from Cape Town, yeah. which to me ain't very European. Although I guess historically Cape Town can claim a, a good affiliation with us. Um, but yeah, that you know the the top French, English, and Celtic teams play off in the European Cup, 
and it, it they guarantee um, the best, not just the leading teams, but the best performing team from each country will have a representative to maintain that diversity, which means that uh, South Africa will have at least one. Yeah. Does the European Cup have a process? I mean, is it quarterfinals, semis and a final? Or is it, yeah. Is it a knockout? Yeah, the, it, it, it's a pool stage tournament. Um, okay. it, it, it has historically been... So at least there'll be an opportunity to it'll be an opportunity to 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 rise to the top if you can. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a good tournament. You know, you when you're playing Toulouse or um, Racing ninety two away, or you go yeah. to Exeter or Saracens, it's it's very meaningful. That's an outstanding tournament. Um, yeah, but again, I mean, it's. It's an awful lot of rugby for South Africans to be playing, whilst at the moment, at test level, at test level, you know, they're they're still, I assume, looking to uh, realign with New yeah. Zealand. But at some stage, the whole South African season, if if you're talking about the best team, three teams are getting in the European Cup, and you're talking about the Guinness fourteen, the alignment of the seasons has to change because you cannot. You cannot play in a European time zone season-wise and then go back to pre-season and play um, international rugby uh, because, you know, we, we all know about the intensity of it and we all know about phrases like player welfare and it, it's just too much. So, again, to, to me, it, as, as a rugby person, you would say, well, South Africa will have to become part and parcel of the European game, which leads me all the way back to the grand master plan, Peter, which I think is South Africa to become part of the historic um, nations, five, yeah. six, seven, whatever. Via, via a sort of Celtic, a Celtic route. Yes. Your, your prediction then would be that eventually Australia and New Zealand will be dragged into this somehow as well, along with Argentina and Japan and any of the Asian strays. Well, I, I think effectively um, it will just mm. grow out of being a, a numerical nations tournament based in Europe. Yeah. Uh, there will, I think, the, the 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 driving vision will be to globalize the test game. Yeah. Um, rugby is popular in England, but as you said, as you intimated, it's nothing like the passion of South Africa. And sometimes in England, we kid ourselves that we can compete with football. And clearly, that yeah. is not the case. But what rugby can do, which football doesn't have, is this annual global season, which does draw huge crowds. You know, if, if England are playing in yeah. Twickenham, you know, they could be playing against Papua New Guinea and they sell 82,000 tickets, yeah. no messing about, at, at, at big price. And they would get big viewing figures for television. So rugby, you know, rugby has been and remains, I think, more than football, a game where the international game is the driving point. Whereas, you know, in, in, in Europe, if you go to Italy, Spain, Germany, England, the driver notwithstanding the euro sort of galvanized the nation uh, um the driver is really manchester united manchester city juventus and real madrid yeah barcelona so it's different and i think that's how 
if rugby wants to establish itself on the next level, it has to do that. And, and cricket, and I think cricket has has done that in the summer. Um, and I, I think what 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 worries me, if you, and the comparison with cricket's important because you know cricket's been taken over by by England and Australia mm-hmm. and India. Um, and even while other teams are beating them in test matches, and I think New Zealand yeah. just became the world test champion, um, uh, this began when South Africa was the number one test side in the world. Uh, it doesn't matter how good you are if you don't have the money. Um, you're an also ran and you're treated like one. Um, and and it's it yeah, I mean it's it's a bit sad. It, it's the bad side of professionalism. Um, and, you know, I, I never thought uh, someone who couldn't stand the old fuddy-duddies and the blazers in my playing days that I would say uh, one can look back on amateur times and see um, bonuses there. I was not advocating going back in any way. Uh, but I think in life we have this strange view that progress is a, a sort of a linear thing and you just go straight left to right and you keep going. It doesn't work like that. And I think at the moment, rugby, you also got to remember, is, I mean, it's in its infancy as a profession. It's only, it's only, it's less than 30 years. Compare that to football, um, it's a baby. So it's learning things as it goes. And one of the things it's learning, we, we're in an era, era of, I, I think, very neoliberal politics and, and everything is about uh, business and money. And I don't think if sport becomes professional, you can expect it to withstand the sort of um, the winds of capitalism that are blowing around the world. It, it just gets it just gets knocked over. And and South Africa, because of its, I guess, uh, economic, political, historical factors, is sort of slap bang in a place where it's struggling. Yeah, although we don't, we've arguably got the biggest pool of rugby talent in the world. I mean, there is uh, potentially, particularly in the Eastern Cape and the Western Cape, um, just there are just millions of people who love rugby. It's just, it's absolutely extraordinary. Um, mm. And I just wonder, you know, I, I hope that they don't, those people don't get lost, the Makazola and Mampimpis, um in the future. And we'll see him playing against the Lions in the next couple of weeks. Just, just magnificent. Our, our Welsh um, rugby fans, Cardiff supporters, going to going to go in numbers to watch Cardiff play the Stormers. Um, that, that, do you know what? They, you might get a crowd the first time up because it's going to be uh, marketed to the hilt. Um, I hate to say it, but uh, since Cardiff became the Blues, and since Flanathy uh, became the Scarlets and Swansea and Neath combined to become the Ospreys. Nobody goes in numbers to watch Welsh rugby anymore. <laughs> uh, David Moffat, who was a sort of a rugby business guru in New Zealand and Australia, he turned club rugby, which was the essence of the Welsh game, into regional rugby because it had worked in New Zealand. And it hasn't worked in Wales. And, and, and Wales is in a very parlous state. It does amazing things with its international team, considering how poorly the regions go. But, you know, Swansea City have just been promoted to uh, the Premier League in football. And all it would take is a year or two of them staying up and Wales dipping badly uh, for a game uh, to struggle there. And Wales, to me, is very much... 
Wales is the sort of uh, UK version of South Africa and New Zealand. Um, you know, the rugby is, is very passionately supported there, but the numbers are, are, are dropping and diminishing. So, you know, you just you don't get the crowds there. The question is, could you get 28, 29, 30,000 people at Munster for a game against Sharks or the Stormers? And um, at the moment, I, I think the answer is no. They fill up for the European games, um, maybe if it was a knockout match. But during the regular season, I think the answer is no. It is not a league that has the same passion as the English and in particular uh, the top 14 in France. Stuart, listen, thank you very much for joining us today. I mean, that all sounds like, a, it all sounds so uncertain and um, and dangerous uh, to a game that I've loved all my life and I'm sure you have too. Um, there's nothing we can do about it, eh? We've just got to follow it and watch no, it. No, well, it reflects the times we live in, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. But thank you, Stuart, very much for, for joining and. Um, you know, let, let's let's see what happens in the Lions tour. I think these two A games, if they are two A games, are going to be fascinating. Um, uh, whether the Stormers can put together a, a you know a, a, a slightly sort of what we call a pup side for Saturday um, for for the Lions coach, that might be right. But I, I I take a second South African A game. There are a couple of people we want to give a little run to before we put them in the test side. Stuart Barnes. Uh, rugby writer for the Sunday Times in the UK. Thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure. Well, that was Stuart Barnes, and I hope you enjoyed listening to him as much as I did. Full of wit, full of knowledge, a little bit cynical, but you have to be in this, this, this day and age. Uh, a really experienced voice uh, in international rugby and somebody always worth listening to. Good luck. People out there, stay safe. And we don't just have coronavirus to deal with in the next couple of days. Yeah, I wish you all the best. And I'll try and get back here next week with an interesting guest again. Take care. Bye-bye.